welcome to Linux Action News, our weekly take on Linux and the open source world. This is episode 9, recorded on July 9th, 2017. I'm Chris. And I'm Joe. Joe, there's many things to dig into today, but I thought we'd start with one that was relatively uplifting. There's a new release. Endless OS version 3.2 is out, and the big news is it's rebased from GNOME Shell 3.8 to GNOME Shell 3.22. That's not much of a jump, is it? 3.8, though, I believe is four years old, Joe. That is a big, important upgrade, if nothing else. It, it was long overdue. And they said that going forward, they intend to never have to relive this process again. <laughs> yeah, they intend to hopefully rebase frequently, which seems like a very good plan to me because you don't want to leave it that long where you just it's an impossible task and it just gets harder and harder. I recently had a chat with Michael Hall on Linux Unplugged about Endless and what they're up to. And if you're not familiar, because they are kind of new, it's an interesting project. They're trying to take a GNOME shell-based desktop and make it work offline a little better. So preload it with content, preload it with existing data, and make it work in regions that don't have always-on internet, which honestly is even some places here in the United States. Uh, One of the places Michael Hall mentioned that they might be looking to move into in the future is jails which if you think about it is a, is, is a great use case, something that is secure, that is easy to use and works well offline, but also in countries that don't have proper internet connection. And so they're working on some interesting special stuff. And one of the other reasons that I pay some close attention to it is folks from the original GNOME days are working on this stuff. But you know, I can't help but feel this is just not aimed at me because I have a solid internet connection almost all the time and I'm not a new user. So for me, that I only really have an academic interest in this. Mm-hmm. I think I kind of am in the same boat myself. I, I really don't see myself using this. Plus, I don't really see myself using something that lags a release or two behind GNOME. I'm much more likely to want to use something that's pretty current. And I'm still waiting to see the actual code go upstream. There's a lot of talk about upstream. And they say their intention is to reduce the difference with upstream as much as possible. And they're going to upstream everything they can as far as it makes sense for them to do so, which I'm not quite sure what that means, but I believe them. And they have pushed patches a few years ago when they first made that big switch with GNOME 3.8. But I don't think there's been a lot of code that's gone upstream since then. So maybe we'll see some of that. Part of that would be, of course, being based on a more modern version of GNOME Shell, so that way their upstream patches were more relevant. Yeah, it's one thing to offer your patches upstream, but it's another for them to be accepted. And it does look like they have some good ideas here. So if they can stay current, there may be some stuff that the GNOME project might want to take a look at. Yeah, I think that for new users, it's good having the kind of phone-based icons and stuff, because a lot of people in developing countries never used laptops they went straight to the mobile experience and so it kind of makes sense to have more of a mobile like experience on a laptop but if you've been using computers for years and years and years and are used to the kind of traditional way of doing things then this it's just pushing it way more beyond even what gnome is into just pure mobile territory basically It does feel a bit like a productized version of GNOME. And going back to your earlier comment about it being an academic fascination, that's what it is for me. It's like, what if a company got together that knows GNOME, that could build something using OS tree and flat packs, and they could really deliver a product? What would it be? Well, this is it. Like, we are seeing that experimentation play out right here with Endless. And 
maybe, maybe once they start getting some traction and more and more users start using this stuff in production, some of these ideas will just work their way in. Even if, even if it's not code, if it's the concepts, might work their way into mainline GNOME Shell. If you look at a screenshot of this thing, it, it looks like Windows 10 met GNOME Shell to some degree. Sounds like Budgie to me. <laughs> Speaking of laptops, German laptop company Tuxedo is announcing its own Ubuntu flavor. It's the season of distros, Joe. Yeah, it seems to be the end thing. If you are a Linux hardware seller, you should make your own distro because that's definitely a good idea, right? I would put a caveat next to that. If you are a Linux hardware vendor who apparently doesn't sell enough units, I don't know what tuxedo sales are, but doesn't sell enough units to participate with an OEM program so that way Canonical just makes these changes for you, you're forced to do this. Might be another way to phrase that. Yeah. So we talked about Pop! OS, didn't we, from System76? Never heard of it. (laughs) (laughs) And so this time it's called Tuxedo's Ubuntu. 1604 LTS. Got to get the whole thing in there. Yeah. Which, if I was going to make a distro, that's what I'd base it on because that's what I use. I'm sitting here looking at Zubuntu 16.04 right now. Yeah, except for it's not really Zubuntu 16.04 LTS, is it? Because it's using a totally different kernel. It's shipping with different proprietary firmware blobs. It ships with the NVIDIA proprietary driver when necessary. Adjustments on the grub, uh, quote unquote, and optimizations to other system-relevant files and their own theme, which you could almost describe as a lacquer level of painting, and uh, their own logos. This is not really... Ubuntu. This is something else. This is some. This is a modification of it. In fact, to me, it's almost nonsensical to put Zubuntu 16.04 LTS because what part of that is LTS? What part of that is being maintained by Canonical? Not the kernel, not the relevant system files, not Grub. So it's not really an LTS 16.04 Ubuntu anything. Yeah, and Martin Wimpress talked about this on the Ubuntu podcast, didn't he? About he got a version of Ubuntu Mate on a review unit from Tuxedo, and they had just completely butchered it. All the trouble that Wimpy ran into was all justified in the name of improving the customer experience. And the one that they love to throw around with this new release is they took a Infinity Book Pro 13 and they put Linux Mint 18.1 on there. That, that got six hours of battery life. Then they took their fancy Zubuntu fork on the same Ultrabook and got nearly twice the battery life with almost 12 hours of battery performance just by swapping out the distro, Joe. Are you sure they didn't turn the brightness down as well? <laughs> I think it has more to do with the uh, kernel 4.11 that they swapped out to, those optimizations to system-relevant files, and the fact that I think they ran PowerTop and then just put it in automatic mode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and Linux Mint as well. Hmm, that's not a distro I would choose to use for pretty much anything, I'm afraid. There's been so much going on, Joe, with all of this stuff. Like you, like you mentioned, you have Pop! OS, you have Tuxedo going on. Of course, Linux Mint is out there. So it is interesting to get some data, some actual user data on laptops from the Linux community right now. Pharonix has published the 2017 Linux Laptop Survey results. They've had 30,171 responses. So it's a lot of data. You could draw different conclusions. You can't necessarily say it's scientific, but it is pretty interesting. Well, Tuxedo are concerned with battery life, but it seems that most people who run Linux on their laptop aren't because that came out pretty much bottom of the list of what people want. Yeah, it was fourth in the survey. 
beat out by build quality, performance, and even being preloaded with Linux. Yeah. And not many people buy machines preloaded with Linux, it seems, still. Only 10% of the respondents said that their most recent laptop came preloaded with Linux. That surprised me a lot. Yeah, because now we've got Dell machines, we've got all sorts of Linux vendors, so you'd expect that number to be higher, I think. But people are just stuck in their ways with their ThinkPads, it looks like. They actually did break down the data amongst the different laptops, and yeah, Lenovo was the number one hardware uh, by quite a bit. Lenovo really did pretty good. Dell came in at second, Asus at third, HP fourth, Apple and Acer came in tied for fifth. System76 was the most popular dedicated Linux system provider, but it was only used by 2.1% of the respondents. That's uh, See, the reason why that surprised me, Joe, is this isn't a survey of the market of consumers interested in buying computers. This is a survey of Linux enthusiasts that want to buy Linux computers or computers to run Linux. So why is it that companies like System76 are so low on surveys like this? You suppose it could be store availability? You know, Lenovo's in just about every electronic store here in the States. Yeah, and Amazon and stuff, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Amazon, I bet you a big part of it is purchases on Amazon. Dell, same thing. Dell's available in a lot of retail locations, also available online. Uh, Apple, not performing that strongly, even though all of those same things are true to Apple. Not too surprising, though. If you're going to buy a MacBook, you're probably not buying it with the intention to run Linux full-time. Some are, though, in this response. So keeping the context of Pop! OS and uh, Tuxedo Ubuntu 16.04 LTS... It is interesting then to discuss what the most popular distros were in respondents. You're probably not going to be too surprised by this one. Ubuntu was the most popular Linux distribution, running on 39.9% of the respondents' laptops. Second place was Arch Linux, followed by Debian. And then rounding out the top 10 was Fedora at 14. Linux Mint came in at 5th. And then OpenSUSE trailing in at 4%, Gen 2 39 just, uh, wow, look at this. Solus actually clocked in. Good for Solus, clocking in at 2%, which is not bad for a brand new distro. Yeah. It does make me wonder how many people are actually running Arch and Debian rather than just saying that they're running Arch and Debian and Gen 2 as well. Surely 3.9% of people can't actually be running Gen 2. I believe it. I believe it. I do believe it. I also think it's interesting that Solus almost has half the market share of SUSE already. Yeah. That is interesting, but I, I don't know. We always say that SUSE is popular in Germany, but maybe the kind of people who run it don't speak English and don't read sites like Pharonix, maybe. Yeah, this is what I was thinking. Yeah, it's, it was, uh, well, it wasn't just ran by Pharonix. Actually, he was lucky. A lot of places did pick it up. I saw, I saw it spread out wide and far. So he did get a good reach beyond just the Pharonix website. But yeah, I think it was still mostly English outlets. Yeah. But yeah, good for Solus, say two percent. I'm sure Ike will be happy with that. Well, I'd probably want eighty percent knowing him. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. You got to have all the numbers. <laughs> Last.ting.com. Go there before I get them to change that URL. Go there when it was still cool and save money on your mobile plan. It's really how mobile should have been done from day one in the states. They take your minutes, your messages, and your megabytes, and whatever you use, that's what you pay. Each line is just a $6 line, and then it's just your usage. So if you want three phones, you just pay six for each line. You want to add a fourth, it's $6. I love this plan for small businesses, too. The average Ting bill is just $23 per phone per month. Last.ting.com will take $25 
off a device, or if you bring one and they have a CDMA and GSM network, they'll give you $25 in service credit, and it just might pay for more than your first month. No contracts, no early termination fees, and it's really simple to use with great customer service, nationwide coverage. Just pay for what you use. Last.ting.com. So the big news in the UK this week is that people are starting to finally get their Mycroft devices including the voice or well the alleged voice of Mycroft Alan Pope who received his and asked it a couple of questions and filmed the results and funny is one way to look at it yeah. tragic is another yeah yeah you know we knew this moment was coming joe we knew eventually the public was going to get their hands on this thing and it was either going to be surprisingly good or it was going to be awkwardly bad. And a friend of the show, Alan Pope, decided to ask Mycroft, what are beans? Hey, Mycroft, what are beans? And then a very long, awkward pause of silence. It's thinking, Joe. It's thinking. Hard, apparently. <laughs> Still thinking, Joe. <laughs> beans serving size 130G, total calories 132 Fat calories four percent daily value carrot asterisk total fat four hundred thirty-three mg one percent saturated fat sixty-one mg zero percent trans fat cholesterol zero g zero percent sodium two hundred sixty-four mg eleven percent total carbohydrates twenty-five g eight percent dietary fiber seven g seven percent sugar one g protein eight g microfin I've heard enough about beans. Vitamin C 5%, calcium 5%, iron 14%, vitamin 14%, riboflavin 6%, niacin 3%, vitamin B6 8%, folate 9%, phosphorus 10%, magnesium 12%, zinc 5%, asterisk percent daily values are based on 2,000 calories averaged over different types of prepared beans. Oh, that's better. Are you still talking? <sighs> oh, that uh, that is a bad show right there. Um, yeah, and there's a bunch of other videos which are fairly. I, th- I think that's probably the worst of it, but mm-hmm. it's it's just compared with Alexa or Google Home. I mean, it's just it's light years behind. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if we were going to break this problem down, though, we have two things. So we have the hardware, which is Raspberry Pi based right now, and the industrial design and the way the information is displayed on the device. I'm actually going to give it a a good solid uh, pass on all of those things. I think the industrial design looks pretty good. I like the way that the uh, volume is represented by a light ring around the eyeballs. So the physical product, pretty good. Now, the problem is the cloud backend that actually makes that product usable seems pretty horrible. And when Mycroft, the company, was contacted about this, they say that they still have a lot of work to do in order to improve the wake word recognition and concede that the voice user experience is still young and the skills were developed that need, the skills that have been developed need significant refinement. (laughs) That's a bit of an understatement. Yeah. Yeah, you're right about the, the look of it. Um, and yeah, do check out the YouTube videos that Popey made. We'll uh, have links to them. It looks good. It, my wife said, oh, it looks really cute. And, uh, you know, I can see people liking that. But yeah, just the, the software in it. I don't know to what extent it's the software in the actual device because that's got to have some 
bearing on the um, the delay there because there's an awfully long delay while mm. I was thinking about well, how to process your request. But the thing is that even some of the backend stuff's proprietary, so you can't just say that it, it's not just because it's open source that that's the problem. Uh, it just, it, to me, this is a very poor advert for all things free and open source. Yeah, this is one of those stories that you hope doesn't get around. You don't want to see this at the top of TechCrunch tomorrow. Uh, this is one of those things where we hope we can just quietly work on um, while everybody else, like the Echo and the uh, Google Home and the HomePod, have their day in the sun. The reality is, is we're way behind here, open sources. And uh, this is a new frontier for us because it involves so much data, so much processing. It requires incredible network connectivity and infrastructure. This has got to be one of the biggest challenges that consumer open source is going to be facing in a long time. Well, is it? Or is it just going to be forgotten about? I don't know, because I'd have a lot more sympathy for Mycroft as a company if they had delivered more quickly. They did two crowdfunders, and we've waited how how long? Over a year? Mm -hmm. And this is the result of it. If it had been delivered more quickly as a developer device, and it says it's rough around the edges and all that kind of stuff calls itself a prototype. But if if it was quicker, I'd have more sympathy and I'd have more sympathy with them taking so long if it was better. But you can't have both, can you? It's like that whole thing about do you want it quick, cheap, or good? And you pick two. And they've done it slowly and badly. And it wasn't particularly cheap either. Maybe they could follow the Sailfish model and just keep keeping at it because eventually you end up with an Intel-based tablet that runs Sailfish OS and Android support up on Indiegogo, Joe. Yeah. So we spoke about this, didn't we, um, a few weeks ago, how there was an update for the, the first Yola tablet running Sailfish OS, which was a crowdfunder and then was never delivered and people still are waiting for their refunds. Well, a new Sailfish tablet has appeared on Indiegogo from a company called Uyota, Uyota, something like that. Yeah. Uh, and it looks remarkably similar to the other tablet, doesn't it, in terms of specs and in even the design of it. And it just seems like, fool me once, shame on you. I don't know, would you even consider backing this Indiegogo? Didn't even cross my mind for a hot second, which is interesting because back in the day, I think I might have. And I'm even kind of impressed by the specs. I'm, I'm willing to consider an x86 tablet because the upsides are pretty high if it, if it actually worked. And this thing has a quad-core 1.8 gigahertz processor, 32 gigs or 64 gigs of storage, 2 gigs of DDR3L RAM. It's got a 7.85-inch IPS display with a 330-pixel density, which is nice. It's a good-looking rig, really. I just didn't even consider for a hot second backing this thing. Yeah. I mean, the thing about it being x86 is you've got a remote chance, at least, of being able to run GNU slash Linux on it exactly. if it doesn't work out. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, you got that backup plan. It looks nice, though. And if if I was confident that they were going to deliver, then I might seriously consider it because it, I would like to get my hands on a Sailfish tablet. And of yep. the other OSs, the, the other Linux-based mobile OSs, I would say Selfish is by far the best. And that's probably why it's the only one that survived. Yeah, I completely agree. I think you're right on all points. And uh, the fact that you can run Android applications on this thing sort of gives you the peace of mind that there's going to be right out of the box things you can do with it. Pricing on the Indiegogo starts at $199 with an estimated September 2017 ship day. Then it bumps up from there. If you say you want to get 64 gigs, you're looking at $220. These are not bad prices. 
not bad prices and very quick delivery yeah. for an Indiegogo, mm-hmm. if that actually <laughs> doesn't slip, but we'll see. When I see those dates and I see these prices, this tells me that this is hardware that's already manufactured, and it's a matter of just refining the OS to work on it properly. Yeah, and it's hit its goal. They've smashed through it in just a few days. They wanted $50,000, and they've got 67000 now, and it, um, they seem to be getting more and more backers all the time. Yeah, 12 days left still, too. Yeah, it's and it's quite a short campaign as well. They obviously are looking to turn this around as quickly as possible. Um, and they are one of the things they want the money for is to officially license Sailfish because that's what Yola are trying to do now, aren't they? That's their, their business model. And suddenly, the blog post that we reported on a couple of weeks ago makes sense how they were planning to make some money from their licensing agreements and and give that back to the um, the original backers. So it seems like. Uh, I'm not going to say Robin Peter to pay Paul, but it's kind of like the the people who are backing this tablet are going to be paying back the people who backed the last one kind of indirectly. So that all all makes sense now. Yeah, that is a good observation. And also something else I noticed is uh, they believe that they're going to be able to ship these things 45 days after they start assembling, and they're going to do assembly in Foxconn. These are solid numbers and locations, which means this is a pretty sure bet. And yet... Still not backing it. I just, I'll, <laughs> yeah. I want to see it ship. I want to see it ship for, for a little while. Then maybe I'll consider it. Yeah. I mean, if they can actually deliver this, they're going to make some reasonable money. And then people will be more uh, filled with confidence. And I think people will buy it. And I would consider it at that point because my tablets are getting a bit long in the teeth. And you would hope that there might be lineage available for it. Um, and maybe some kind of GNU slash Linux, as I said. So it seems like a, a fair proposition. And this keyboard um, that it comes with as an option looks quite nice as well. They call it a two-in-one. I think that's a little bit... Um, it's not really fair to call a case with a keyboard edition a two-in-one, but it still looks pretty cool. And I, if they wanted to send me one for free, I would be all over it. But I'm not risking 200 bucks on this, I'm afraid. Yeah, I'll wait for a couple of reviews, and then maybe I'll, I'll grab one and... Uh, we'll do a review. But yeah, I do agree with you. It looks like a good product if they can ship it. And Sailfish OS is one of my favorite alternative mobile operating systems. Yeah, I quite like Tizen as well, but and I haven't used that for a long time, so I can only assume it's got better. But yeah, Firefox OS was a bit DOA, really. And then um, we know what happened with Ubuntu Touch. Too soon, so. Joe, too soon. <laughs> Yes. Um, All right, let's talk about Mozilla. Uh, What are they up to? What are they spending their Yahoo billions on this week? Well, we've been wondering where they're going to go and how they're going to stay relevant. And Mozilla has announced its own Project Things framework designed to pull together existing Web of Things specifications and code under a global framework comprised of device, gateway, and cloud components. We've got too many standards, Chris. We need another one. This is sort of like the omni-layer that sits on top of Google standards, Microsoft's, Amazon's, Apple's, and Samsung's, which gets a huge cross-section. And this stuff is so fragmented because each vendor has their own application protocol. Google has Weave. Amazon has MQTT. Apple has HomeKit. 
They have network protocols. Most of them speak Wi-Fi to some degree. Some of them do Bluetooth and other things running over Bluetooth. And then, of course, there's the operating systems that most of these devices are powered by. Linux or Android of things. Windows IoT, which nobody really uses. iOS for the HomeKit stuff. And Linux or Android or a mix for like a lot of the Samsung stuff and uh, we, uh, the uh, Wemo products from uh, Belkin. There's a, just a crap ton of mess, lots of different standards, tons of fragmentation, and what Mozilla wants to do is put a layer that sits on top of all this stuff and essentially gives each device a web-like URL that anything can talk. You know that old phrase about if all you've got is a hammer, everything looks like a nail? I kind of feel that way about Mozilla. To them, it, all they have is the web. Yeah. And so that's the solution to every problem is the web. They say that the goal is creating a decentralized Internet of Things by giving things URLs on the web to make them linkable and discoverable and by defining a standard data model and APIs to make them interoperable. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? Look at the phone, right? The, what was the solution to the phone? Make it basically uh, web technologies. Yes. And that didn't work out. Right. And so that's they're just constantly pushing this. And I, I don't know whether that is the solution. I think that Open standards are always good. And I think that Mozilla, I like to, you know, poke fun at them and everything, but of anyone to be in charge of this stuff and pushing standards in this area, Mozilla is a company who, well, an organization that I am happy to, to do that. But I, I just wonder if this is necessarily the right approach. Um, mm. I don't really have any alternative approaches to offer, so maybe I shouldn't be criticizing well, it. Well, you know, the Linux Foundation does. Um, there is there is something the Linux Foundation and Dell and a lot of other vendors have been working on now for a couple of months um, that is essentially this, also runs on Raspberry Pis like the early prototypes of this do. So we'll see. Uh, they are a little late to this game. See, the issue is the problem is already here, and this needed to be here... Um, I would say a year or two ago, to be honest with you. And like you said, it is it is cramming web technologies into an IoT solution. The reason why I mention that again is this area, these Internet of Things devices, it's all super crap cheap hardware that doesn't have a lot of room for overhead. So this software that Mozilla is releasing is implemented in JavaScript. It runs on a Node.js web server, and then you put that on a Raspberry Pi. And they're also working on – now, they're, they are aware that non-web languages are important, but the things they have on their priority list don't really feel like they apply to Microsoft and Apple and Samsung because when they go to cite other programming languages they might support in the future, they list Rust. I love Rust, but Amazon doesn't love Rust. Apple doesn't love Rust. Microsoft doesn't love Rust. Samsung, they don't care. So it, if you're going to try to build in support, it, maybe you go for something the rest of the market's using. Yeah, why not do it properly with something low-level like C? Right, something that you'd, you'd eke the most performance out of would, would be what I would think. Now, this is a management layer, so I, I kind of get it, and you want something people can write to, but it's just more lacquer on top of lacquer. That's my theme today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, Mozilla, bless them, they have to keep trying to be relevant somehow, don't they? And it's not really working out on the desktop, so it makes sense that they'd go after the IoT because that's the... The new hotness, isn't it? That's where everything's going, supposedly. Mm -hmm. And this problem that we just went through, I mean, it does underscore the fact that standardization needs to happen here. You're not going to have stuff securely implemented and maintained unless something like this comes along. I would like it to be Mozilla. Yeah, I wouldn't mind it being canonical, to be honest. I know they've got this big push, and 
okay, they've made some mistakes in the past, but they've always been really good at open sourcing everything, uh, even if it takes them a while, like with Ubuntu One. So I wouldn't mind them. I wouldn't mind Mozilla as long as we have open standards. That's all that really matters. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's show. Now, I won't be here next week, but the show does go on. So you can subscribe at linuxactionnews.com slash subscribe for all of the ways to get new episodes. And linuxactionnews.com slash contact for all the ways to get in touch. Also, please consider supporting the entire network and get access to our new Patreon-only podcast at patreon.com slash jupitersignal. We'll be back next Monday with our weekly take on the latest Linux and open source news. I'm at Chris LAS. I'm at Joe Rissington. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week. See you later. Later.